0: Good morning. Our scripture reading this first Sunday of August comes uh, from the prophet Isaiah. I'm reading from chapter 55, the first five verses. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples. A leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. The comedian Stephen Wright asked the question, if you had everything in the world, where would you put it? Well, while you're pondering that, I'll... uh, Offer the question that our scripture invites us to ask today, which is Could you walk away from everything you have accumulated thus far? Usually, when we talk about the Babylonian exile, we we usually talk in shorthand to just simplify this era in Israelite history, but we simplify it too much, I think. For instance, not all of the Jews were deported in the Babylonian exile. And the ones who were did not all board the same bus. Instead, after King Nebuchadnezzar uh, conquered Jerusalem, the first ba- batch of exiles were sent away. And those exiles, the first ones sent off, were the educated, the wealthy, those who had the kind of leadership that could pose a problem for the new occupants of the throne. Uh, the, the prophet Daniel was among the first ones uh, to be exiled. But then after that, there were at least two more rounds of gathering up people who were a potential threat and hauling them off to Iraq. Uh, Iraq is, is what we call that region now. It was called Babylon at the time. But from the first wave To the end of the exile, it was about 67 years. Which means that most of the Jews in that exiled period had no memory at all of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the hometown that their parents talked about. But most of the babies of that era were born in Babylon. School, little league, ballet practice, all of their growing up years were in modern Iraq. They had never seen, they'd only heard about, they'd never seen or lived in the promised land of Israel. But the old Jews in the community always talked about Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The old-timers talked about and longed for their home in Jerusalem. The temple that had been destroyed uh, for many years now was an ongoing part of their conversation. But to so many of the younger ones who had been away, who had never been there, it all sounded to many of them like an ancient myth. And and besides, growing up in Babylon wasn't that bad. The gods of Babylon were lots of fun. Uh, They had a god of wisdom and agriculture, a goddess of love and sexuality, a god of scribes and writings. Life was not all that bad uh, in the exile. I mentioned that the leadership were the ones who were deported, the wealthy, the intelligentsia. Well, it turns out most of those folks do well wherever they call home. Some of the deported Jews had set up quite a life for themselves in Babylon. They had uh, established businesses, had nice houses. That was their new normal. But then in the year 538 B.C., Cyrus of Persia defeated the Babylonians. And he announced to the deported Jews that they were welcome to come back home. And so they prepared to pack up to head home to rebuild the temple, to reclaim their core identity as the chosen ones of God. And and in the book of Isaiah, in the 49th chapter, as they're making these plans and called back, God says they are to be a light to the nations in order that God's salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. But as you can imagine, some of the... uh, some of the exiles were not that eager to return they've raised their kids here they've built their dream home here and and as i said these babylonian gods are pretty flashy and fun and how many ox carts would it take anyway to load up all of the stuff we have accumulated and go back to jerusalem it's it's not like i can just rent a storage unit for this stuff I've accumulated so much, I'm just not sure I can leave all of this behind to go reestablish the religious practices of my parents. And in the midst of all of that, the prophet Isaiah speaks to them in a tone that is intended to get their attention. Ho, he says, listen up. And then this string of imperatives come, buy, eat, listen, delight. He, he sounds like a merchant in one of those uh, outdoor bazaars trying to, trying to get you to taste samples of his wares and not the opposing vendors. Come, come, buy, eat. Only this is such an odd transaction because there's no need to bring any money at all to this vendor's booth. Ho, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. And then the prophet asked this question that for me is at the center of this passage. It is the weight, the center of gravity. is the question I think that ought to bother all of us who live in the excesses of Babylon. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. One of the few gifts of this pandemic has been that it slowed life down enough for us to start asking some bigger questions. And Isaiah's question is so much at the center of our sadness. I mean, we bought cars and purses and houses and rugs and whatever to impress people we don't even like and it still left us feeling empty inside. Is all of this buying and trading and accumulating working for us? And, and how many more ox carts full of stuff would it take to tap down the fear? Because we're still hungry and still unsatisfied. And so the prophet asked, then why do you spend your money And work hard for things that do not satisfy. If you want food that satisfies, it's found in a deeper purpose, a higher cause. It will not be fulfilled with the purchase of another eye toy. And the profit vendor who's offering food that will satisfy, he's barking, come, buy, eat. And you don't need any money at all to feast on the wine and milk and bread that will really satisfy the hunger of your soul. God says, I made and kept covenant with your ancestor David. I'm restating it to all of you now. I am giving the food that satisfies. Life itself, purpose, anchored in love and mercy. Leave this stuff Leave the flashy gods of Babylon and let's go to work. Well, many, many of the Israelites did pack up and return to Jerusalem. They packed up one ox cart full of memorabilia and heirlooms, I suppose, left everything else aside Not all of them, of course, not everybody went back, but many did. They left their accumulations behind, and they came to reclaim their role in God's redemptive plan. But when they got there, there were no jobs to be had. The temple was in ruins. It didn't look like the promised land at all. But still, they came to eat at the banquet table where wine and bread are free, To offer the message to the world that the God of Abraham has set a feast and everybody is invited. Well, I have begun to have a a new appreciation uh, for exile. Uh, It's only been five months, not 67 years, but I'm feeling uh, the pain of what it means to be exiled from our place of worship here. God is still at work. God is still making and keeping covenant. God is still stirring in the lives of individuals. The church is still alive. The church is still giving and serving and loving. But it is true that we have been kept from our place of worship. And it's beginning to feel like a long exile. We will be called back. The edict will be issued. We will come back to our place of worship, and this will not be in ruins. But it will not look the same either. We don't know what the temple is going to look like after the time of exile. Will people have gotten used to YouTube worship in their sweatpants? Will the people of God return to the place of worship when the exile is over? will they give themselves wholeheartedly again to covenant and rebuilding? We don't know yet what the economic impact. Will some of our folks have to walk away from their homes because they keep getting mortgage bills in their mailbox but not paychecks? One of my high school friends posted this week on Facebook, honk if you're... Home has been foreclosed. Hawk, honk, honk, she said. How many more of those? Will new cars have to be sold back for less than what's owed? Will businesses close? Will economic uncertainty have an impact on generosity, on, on church giving? What is it going to look like when the exile is over and we return to this place of worship? Yet in the midst of all of this uncertainty, there has been this recognition that we have been living in a foreign land that is not really our home. As you can imagine, I'm eating a lot of uh, outside distanced lunches with uh, masks sitting close by. And inevitably, the conversation terms, turns to what are going to be the long-term implications of this pandemic. And at some point in that conversation, somebody will inevitably say, do you think there's going to be some kind of revival? Do you think there's going to be some different thinking about what matters, what endures? I mean, closets are stuffed, storage units are full, and we've learned that it's all fragile and empty. Do you sense that there are maybe some God questions bubbling up in people right now who are asking, why do I keep working this hard and spending money for that which does not satisfy? God is at work. After the exile, the people of God returned to Jerusalem, not burdened by as much stuff as they had before, And they gave themselves to their identity and to their mission, a light to the nations in order that God's salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. They rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the traditions that brought meaning into their faith and their life. The people of God, God's chosen people, a light to the nations. In the recent weeks in our city, we have been mourning the loss of two great Atlanta citizens, C.T. Vivian and John Lewis. And it struck me again that these two men were ordained Baptist ministers who gave their lives to a cause bigger than themselves. They gave their lives to be a light to the nation. But they were agents of the church. First and foremost, they were captured by God's vision to rebuild the world around love. They were not first politicians. They were not first civil rights icons. They were first caught up by a vision of what God in Christ is doing to reclaim the world through love. And the other thing that struck me in all of these remembrances over the past few weeks is that as we've been celebrating their meaningful lives, their impact, their contribution to things that matter, not one person has mentioned the value of what they might have accumulated in their storage units because they live for something bigger than stuff. In the quiet, aching moments of the pandemic, more and more people are asking, why do I keep working so hard and spending money for things that do not satisfy? In the midst of the violence and racial division and political rancor and economic uncertainty, the hollow place in their lives continues to yearn To live for something that's bigger. And the prophet says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That which satisfies requires no money at all. But it does require that we give ourselves again to participating in God's design to love this world back into wholeness. The world is groaning and waiting for the church of Jesus Christ to model the way, which means this is our day. This is the opportunity for the church to model the fullness that's found in the ways of Jesus. Now, whether the whole nation gives way to revival or not... I'm asking you as the church to give way to revival. I'm asking you to listen to the call to come and rebuild the temple, to be willing to put aside the frantic pursuit of what does not uh, satisfy in order to join me here in the fulfillment and the reclaiming of our purpose, to be a light to the nations in order that God's salvation might reach the ends of the earth. This is our chance. When the city groans and fights and throws bottles and yells obscenities at each other, we gather in the name of Christ to build and pray and love and serve. And exile will one day be over. One day we'll be invited back into this place of worship, It'll be our great chance to model the abundance of God's great feast. So come to the waters. All of you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Is the call of God's delight. It's been a good morning of worshiping our great God together. As we close our worship, join me once again as we sing, offering our voices to God, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. And now go and give up what you cannot keep in order to have what you cannot lose. Go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, Come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Postalian Baptist Church.